Can they, can they, can they hear us now? Good. <laughs> Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 358 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into the show. Share this episode, share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, share it on your IG stories, and tag me on Instagram at 12combo. Share this episode in your basketball group chats. Let everyone know that you're listening to Combo's Court. Today's show, Jason Timpf of Lakers Tonight joins in to talk NBA playoff basketball. We discuss Wolves Grizzlies, Celtics Nets, Sixers Raptors, and some other topics as well. Just a fantastic conversation with Jason. Go subscribe to Lakers Tonight wherever you listen to podcasts. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Jason Timph, host of Lakers tonight. The jump shot's looking good. Welcome, <laughs> back. Welcome back to Cowboys Court, man. How you feeling today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. How's your knee doing, man? How's the rehab going along? It's good, but I feel good on the court. I'm hooping. I'm seeing you uh, making jump shots. The energy transfer is great. <laughs> how, how you been, man? I'm doing good. It's funny. I had I broke my foot right before my sophomore season playing in college, and I remember even after the pain was gone, even after I could do all the things I used to do in a workout, there was like a, a three, four month stretch where I just didn't trust it as much. Oh and yeah. It really, it That's really normal. That's normal. When I was playing, you know what I mean? Like when I was actually in game settings was when I wasn't really the same. You know what I mean? No, hundred. the mental aspect of it is everything. I think that's often under discussed when we're talking about people coming back from injuries. Like it's all in the mind. I'm sure Jamal Murray's body is ready at this point. Right. It's just all about what's going on up here. Mm-hmm. Especially like with playoff basketball, like you're going I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this and it's like, like what we saw with DeMar DeRozan versus like Kyrie. There's just like, even the tough shot makers are being exposed as like, can you do it in the playoffs or not? You know, like it's just, there's a whole other level to the physicality and like putting your body through that would be a lot. And if I was Jamal, I'd be looking at it. Like I'd feel a lot more comfortable if I was going at this with a full training camp and a full season of prep, you know, it's really that simple. Most definitely. We were talking about before the recording, how we're watching a lot of basketball, right? And I think it's easy for guys like me and you to watch that much basketball, but it does strike me like how long these games are. And I was thinking about like people's attention spans are not the same as they used to be. So I'm just wondering how the NBA could speed these games up maybe when it, and I think that in the long run could help with the ratings. Have you ever put any thought into like that topic in general or? I would shorten the game and add the Elam ending. So I'm a Mm. huge, huge believer in the Elam ending. I was talking about this. uh, Actually, it was Easter yesterday. So I was at my parents' house and I was talking about it with my dad and my brother. And like, you know, uh, just in like, so are you familiar at all with the Elam ending in the background? Like basically when your team is down and you have to foul your way back into the game, it never works. Like 
the times it does <laughs> are the the are like the massive minority of the situation. It almost never happens, and so we we end up in these weird games where there's all these reviews and there's all these fouls and there's all these timeouts and there's all these guys shooting free throws and it's just boring and long and and it never changes the outcome. You know, it'd be one thing if like half the time it works. So I'm a big believer in the Elam ending, and the Elam ending is so intense and it drags out the end of games, kind of like you saw with the All Star game, like an All Star game quarter you'll see each team score 40 points, you know, and like, uh, and it'll go, go by pretty quickly, but then they'll play to 24 points in the fourth quarter. And it's like longer than the other three quarters. Cause both teams are trying harder and they're competing. And so that, that would be what I would do, but I'm with you. Like, it's a really interesting thing with the attention spans of people. Like, how do you make it so that, you know, a kid can buy into being a basketball fan without having to devote three hours every night to his favorite team? You know what I mean? I think the NBA has done a better job of like putting content on YouTube. And I feel like that's probably the way a lot of young people are watching it. Like I love watching games in their entirety, but I'm just guessing a lot of these younger people are not watching full games of basketball. Well, and that's where the Elam ending could help. Like, like imagine if every single game you turned on in the fourth quarter was like a, another level of entertaining over what it is right, right. now. Obviously basketball games, that's always been the thing with casual fans. Like guys like you and I, we can watch, a first quarter bench lineup at the end of the quarter and right. be fascinated with the actions that they're running and the players and, and the things that they can do. But a casual fan's not going to buy into that kind of thing. But I don't know that anybody wouldn't enjoy, you know, uh, literally playing to a target score in the way that that could. So that would be one of the big changes I would make. And I think the entire basketball community is getting a little closer to adopting that. They do it in the TBT for all the games right now. Mm -hmm. We do it in the all-star game. The G league has done it for some tournaments and stuff. So like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could eventually adopt something like that. Shouts to Dr. Nick Elam. He's actually been on the show before. Oh, yeah. really? That's awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a while back, a while back. All right. So we already started talking about the playoffs a little bit. Um, what have, what are some of your biggest takeaways from this weekend's playoff games? Oh man. Okay. That's a good question. It's been pretty chalk, right? Like the favorites won seven of the eight games. Um, I think I picked Milwaukee or excuse me, I picked Brooklyn to beat Boston in seven games. And I think a lot of people went the other way on that. And with loud, no, the Celtics are better The Nets are, you know, a dumpster mm -hmm. fire. And even though they should have won game one and they tricked it off, at the same time, like, I think that was at least a wake up call for people to realize that Brooklyn is not the team that their regular season metrics and things like that would demonstrate. And I kind of saw through that because I was like, when Kyrie and Katie were on the floor, they were beating the shit out of everybody. Like they just were. So right, right, right. like we can, if you're, you, you can try to make excuses and be like, oh, their defense was ranked such and such, or they're, they, they, you know, they, when Katie was on the floor, this happened. It's like, no, well, Kyrie was out for the most part with his issues that he was having with the vaccination status. And when the two of them were on the floor, they looked great. And so they're a great basketball team. They're much better than any seven seed out there that we've ever seen. Their defense is actually okay. It's not as bad as people think. And so yeah. from that standpoint, like I, I, I'm glad that they demonstrated that. The one that I thought was really interesting was uh, Minnesota Memphis. Oh, super, super interesting. Super oh, yeah. interesting. Oh yeah. That series is going to be really good because they both play super fa uh, fast paced. They both have a ton of athletes. I was really impressed how Minnesota kind of came in there and punked them in a lot of like the effort and physicality areas of the game. And then Carl Anthony towns is your textbook playoff mismatch that Memphis doesn't really have an answer for. And it will keep that series competitive. Like Steven Adams couldn't handle him on the perimeter. He was causing problems as a stretch big knocking down shots. 
he just is a, he's just a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. is the only guy Memphis has that has even a remote chance of staying in front of him, but Cat can bully him. So it's a, I like, I thought that was my second favorite series of the weekend. Yeah. Going into it, those were the two most interesting series to me. And what made that Memphis Minnesota series even more interesting is that Minnesota got the first one. Yeah. And like in, in kind of uh, controlling fashion, uh, I thought, Interestingly enough, one of my biggest concerns with Minnesota throughout the end of the season was their decision-making, you know, like I, I trust cat as an offensive player, but he's not a perimeter initiator. You know, he kind of has to be mm-hmm. set up in a lot of ways. Like he can attack closeouts and he can do, he has a little bit of a face-up game, but he's not a guy who's going to like break you down off the dribble all game long. So I was like, with all these matchups, I was sitting there thinking like Anthony Edwards, who's a, a kid literally, you know? And, and D'Angelo Russell, who's, you know, been in the league longer, but he's a little bit, you know, finicky with some of his decision making. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when he's playing the Clippers, I trust Paul George and Reggie Jackson. You know, I trust John Morant to make better decisions. And in both games, Anthony Edwards has been the best decision maker on the floor. Yeah. And like, and that part is wild to me. Like John Morant was making some bad decisions in that fourth quarter, getting into traffic and jumping into bodies and trying to draw fouls. And instead of making easy reads and kickouts and, and Minnesota looked like the grown up team that was running grown up offense at the end of the game. And so I think uh, there's some weird stuff. Like yeah, I, I uh, mentioned the stat on the show last night of the 60 players who attempted at least five pull-up jump shots per game this season, Anthony Edwards ranked dead last. Uh, in terms of field goal percentage, it's a little thrown off by the fact that he takes so many threes off the dribble, but still he's typically not a very efficient jump shooter off the dribble. He's been great in the play in tournament and in, in this first round. So like if he continues to shoot the ball that well, that's a, that's basically just like a, a massive influx of offensive firepower that didn't exist this season. And then that changes your outlook for this team. But like if Anthony Edwards is taking a leap, then they very well could win the series. But if you ask me what's going to happen, I think it's going to be competitive throughout, but I do think Anthony Edwards will cool off a little bit. I think John Morant will wake up and make some better decisions. And I think Memphis ends up winning in six games. So I've said this before on the podcast to me, Anthony Edwards is a future MVP. I was super high on him going in to the NBA from the draft, talked about him a lot. And back then the thing was people were saying he's a good athlete, but they weren't really talking about like how elite of an athlete he actually was. Like he was going to be top 1% of the top 1%. And then we saw the dunks and we saw everything else and everybody realized how good of an athlete he is. And now I think the thing that's under discussed is the skill level. Like this guy is super skilled, could score either hand, either foot, three level score. So I think it kind of tipped the other way that people aren't talking about just how skilled this guy is. Yeah. You know, and I, I appreciate the, what you mentioned about his athleticism too, because like, in my opinion, there's a huge difference between a guy that can move well that also has bowling ball uh, mm-hmm. momentum to him. Like, for instance, like Malik Monk is a freak athlete. Like that mm-hmm. dude, like a dunk contest type of athlete, right? But he's thin and wiry. So like if he doesn't get a really good head of steam to the point where there's no traffic around him that can bump him off his base or bump him off his line, then he looks great. But like in traffic, he's just so thin that you can pretty easily disrupt all the things that he's trying to do, right? Like Anthony Edwards brings that burst in this like freight train frame. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the combination of those two things that makes a player really difficult to deal with in straight line drive scenarios. But you're right, like, 
for a guy who grew up because didn't he grow up a football player like playing football yeah you know a guy that was criticized wrongly by the way by scouts as someone who was not necessarily lazy but disinterested in coming out of college you know people were like oh how much does he really love basketball right, it's right, like right as you and i can uh state unequivocally if you can knock down pull up jump shots the way he's been doing it and dribble the way he's been doing it you gotta love the game because there's a a requisite amount of work that goes into those sorts of things specific specifically off the dribble shooting requires so much so many reps to get comfortable doing it so like i if he's got that work ethic with his athleticism and his frame, like I'm with you, I think MVP is certainly within the realm of possibility. Plus dude, what a likable guy. Yeah. What a, a killer, not scared. Like he's made gigantic shots in the last couple of games, it, big, like difficult shots too. It, 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 uh, finished off the Clippers with a tough step back three. And then he made a, a, a pull up three off the dribble with against the drop coverage uh, in late fourth quarter uh, in Saturday's game as well. Like he's, he's taking and making, grown man shots you know at the end of these games so i'm 100 with you yeah i'm with you that it's very likely that memphis will come back and win this series but i would say a lot of the time that top end talent is more important than depth is it fair to say that minnesota's top end talent is better than memphis's and i love ja and i love jaron jackson jr but those three guys are hoopers if you think about it and you're going to a pickup run right i think the first three out of four guys are guys on minnesota right so who's the third d'lo yeah, like so, uh, so like if we're playing pickup ball, I think it's going to be in the top four: Cat, Anthony Edwards, Ja, and D'Lo. That's really interesting. I, I certainly as shot creators, I would agree because mm-hmm. you know Memphis has a big three, but their big three is kind of unique. It's more like Golden State Warriors esque. Like John ja Morant is the supreme offensive firepower. Desmond Bain is a great shooter. A lot of people compare him to Clay Thompson. There are some similarities, but he's built like a truck and he's a little bit better as a slasher, right? And, so and like, he's not and he's not as much of a movement shooter. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and he's not a and he's not like a dude who he, he's not CJ McCollum. Like he's not gonna break you down with advanced dribble oh, no. combinations I mean, to CJ get to McCollum, his CJ's skill level is just top level. Exactly. Yeah. Like Des- yeah. Desmond Bain is an advantage scorer. Like he's mm-hmm. the guy that if you get him in a position where he has a little bit of an advantage, he will score all night long, but he's not like a, we're trapped in the half court. The game has grinded to a screeching halt, throw the ball to Desmond Bain against one of your good perimeter defenders and have him create a shot. Like that's not his game. And so where I agree with you is like, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. has some mismatch attack capability. Like he is kind of a bull in a China shop. Like when he catches the ball, in single coverage, like he's trying to go through you to the rim, but we all know that that doesn't work terrifically well in the playoffs. But his big thing that he brings to the table is he's like, like kind of like a, a poor man's Anthony Davis as a backline defensive player. So they're kind of like the Warriors in the sense that it's like three stars, but only one of them is like the primary offensive engine. So you're right. Like if you can cut off the head of that snake, it gets really, really difficult. Whereas if I'm looking at Minnesota, I've got Anthony Edwards who literally can run pick and roll. And if you run drop coverage, like Steven Adams did, he's just going to shoot pull up jump shots all day long. And if you come out to the level of the screen, he's so fast and strong that he can beat you to the basket. He can create shots in isolation. I've got D who's a pretty good pick and roll creator as well. And then I've got Carl Anthony Towns who's arguably the biggest mismatch problem of the series. So I'm a hundred percent with you in the sense that on the surface, it looks that way. I do think though, that when we're actually evaluating the talent, like what Jaron Jackson brings as a defensive player, what Desmond Bain brings as a defensive player is better. So I do think Memphis is more talented overall, but I'm Hmm. with you. Like 
in, in that pickup game type of environment, offensive creation, like you're going to pick three Timberwolves, you know, before you pick a second uh, 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 Grizzly. Most definitely. So that's like the most fascinating series to me, but the most fascinating game so far, we talked about it a little bit, is um, Net Celtics. The physicality with KD was like, alarming like i thought it was kind of crazy the way they were pushing him around i would say that and no calls for the most part <laughs> yeah yeah no calls it, it, it was crazy i don't know if it'll be like that for the rest of the series i definitely want to hear your thoughts on that but what's concerning for the celtics in my opinion is katie will probably not have another game like that and that game was really close what are your thoughts on all of that yeah, there were a lot of people were like, oh, Kyrie wasted a big, you know, we wasted our, our best Kyrie game. Well, and the way I, the way I, his, his percentages have been, it's like we're going to see more of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I'm like, have you watched Kyrie? Like I, yeah. he's capable of going on a three, four game stretch where he just <laughs> does this every single time. Like that was what he did in 2016, you know, and, 100%. And, and so I'm not worried about Kyrie at all. Kevin Durant, like it was really interesting, like Kevin Durant. And I think this is part of his genius. He does such an amazing job of working, like supplementing his offense with easy shots off the ball. Like he'll mm -hmm. fight for position to catch and make quick turnarounds inside of 10 feet, or he'll, he'll like a half dozen times a game. He'll kind of work you down to the block and wait for a pin, a pin screen and then come flying off and make a wide open 17 footer. Like he supplements his offense with that kind of thing. So he likes to work off the ball. And, but then he also has his on ball creation stuff that he does. Well, Boston was like, every time he's off the ball, we're just going to hug him. Like, like literally crazy. they were hugging him. Yeah, I've never crazy. seen anything like it. And like, like Grant Williams was hugging him. Jason Tatum was, hug was hugging him. So like, I do think that that physicality wore Kevin Durant down to the point where he struggled making even the good shots that he got. So I think an easy adjustment for the Nets is like, yeah, Katie, I know you like getting these pin down shots and stuff, but maybe we do a little less of that and have you spot up when you're off the ball and then get you more on ball reps because yes, there'll be tougher shots, but at least you won't be as fatigued. We just, you, if you're in Brooklyn, you can't have Kevin Durant uh, in a wrestling match all, se all series long. You have to find a way to save his legs in, in that regard. So I, I, I thought, so Boston has the best defense in the league, in my opinion, one of the best defenses that I've ever seen that basically their core group of, you know, Tatum, Brown, Horford, Smart, and some fifth guy. It was better with Robert Williams, obviously. But they give up less than 100 points per 100 possessions. They're one of the best defenses we've ever seen. And Brooklyn scored 117.5 points per 100 possessions last night. That's a great number. Like, that's yes. that would be a great number for an average for a season, let alone in a single-game setting against the best defense in the league on their home floor in a playoff game, right? So Brooklyn can score. That's a huge advantage. And... Brooklyn defended pretty well. They just had some breakdowns. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the fourth quarter, I thought they lost Jalen Brown on a few too many drives where, yeah, like all of a sudden Jalen Brown's beating a guy off the dribble and there's just no help on the backside. Right. And Jalen Brown's not a great passer. So you've got to crowd him and make him give the ball up. So I thought there were some things that they can clean up. I think this series to me, it's very different in a lot of ways, but it has a similar, I think it's going to take a similar path to the 2018 conference finals between the Cavs and Celtics. I think the Celtics are going to be extremely difficult to beat at home. Wouldn't be surprised if this goes home, 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 home along the way. But at some point, Brooklyn's going to need to steal one. And I would hope it's not game seven, but I still, I, I'm still sticking with Brooklyn. I'm not going to get discouraged by a home loss in, you know, against Boston in their home arena. But, you know, I, I, I'm still leaning Brooklyn in seven games after what I saw yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of P 
PG Durant this season, a lot of him with the basketball. And you're saying, which is a, a great point, that if we just see more Kevin Durant with the basketball, it puts the onus on the refs. Yeah, you're going to officials are going to allow more contact off the ball. That's always been the way it is. It's right. like it's it's hand fighting, it's jockeying for position, it's all those things. And so, you know, Kevin Durant likes to have a good balance between working off the ball for easy shots and working on the ball. And like I don't I'm not against that. I'm not saying ditch it entirely, but if the refs are going to allow Grant Williams and Jason Tatum to rough Kevin Durant up off the ball, it's going to wear him out and it's going to affect his ability to make shots. So maybe a counter strategy would be more on ball reps and more spot up reps rather than more, you know, jockeying for position off the ball. If that makes sense. Total sense. Total sense. Okay. We're not going to talk about every playoff series, but I did want to talk Toronto Raptors, Philadelphia 76ers, the trendy, the cool pick was saying Toronto is going to beat them too much length, too much youth. Harden is not the same, which there is some truth to that. I mean, the playmaking is there, but I think him as a complete player is not the same. I mean, if you look back at highlights, maybe from, four years ago, the feet moved different back then, like a lot quicker feet. And you even see sometimes where normally he would get a shot off. He would get into a step back and almost make a pass. Like you just didn't see that before. Um, so the length does bother him slightly at times, but you know, it's Embiid's team. And I was talking about this in Twitter spaces that, you know, they were writing the Sixers off. They were saying they couldn't be, somebody was saying that they couldn't be title contenders. I'm saying when you have Embiid, and Harden as your second guy, you have a chance. And then we have the emergence of Tyrese Maxey as well, who played great yesterday. Um, I think Toronto's offense, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. But what do you think they could do defensively? What kind of adjustments do you think they could make to maybe grab some wins in this series and make it competitive? I thought it was a defensive catastrophe from Toronto. Mm, okay. Like, I think if Nick Nurse, I, I know Nick Nurse has watched the film probably a half dozen times already, and he probably has lost a lot of hair in the process. Like, <laughs> like I, I was going through the film yesterday, jogging back in transition, like sloppy, incoherent help. There were possessions where like James Harden's kind of working with the ball on the wing and Pascal Siakam's like on his man, but like, you know, in that typical shell drill where he's like kind of two steps away where he can dig on a drive, but easy to close out. And James Harden just makes a swing pass and Pascal Siakam's like sleeping and not paying attention is slow on his closeout. And it's a wide open three for, you know, Tobias Harris or somebody like it was an atrocious defensive performance from Toronto in effort and focus. I also disagreed with some game plan stuff. Like mm. I would throw the kitchen sink at Joel Embiid when he has the basketball in his hands. Right. But aside from that specific scenario, I would not double team anybody else. And there were way too many uh, uh, moments in that series or in that game last night where like, uh, James Harden has the basketball and the entire defense is geared towards James Harden and he's just picking them apart. And like, to your point, James Harden has had some decline. I, I shared some stats the other day. He made about four, uh, shots in the restricted area per game in his MVP season. It's half that now. Okay. He shot about 40% on pull-up jump shots in his MVP season. It's at 32% now. It's a pretty significant decline. He was relying on free throws for about 28% of his offense in the 2018 season when he won the MVP. This season, it's almost 40%. So he's not the same in mm -hmm. terms of his ability to create off the dribble. Isolation possessions in 2018, he was generating about 1.22 points per 100 possessions. 
this season or per possession this season, it's 1.06. So he's not the same in almost any of the things that made James Harden who he is, but there's one thing that he still can do at the highest level and that's read defenses and make reads. And Mm -hmm. so if you do that, you're playing into his strengths, every uh, Harden and beat pick and roll for the most part, there are a handful of exceptions on most Harden and beat pick and rolls. They're sending a third defender over to guard the role, man. Harden would just work to the free throw line and make an easy kickout pass to the weak side for a wide open three. And Tyrese Mack, that's what got Ty- Tyrese Maxey got going against Toronto's bad transition defense just by outracing him down the floor and by making wide open shots on the weak side of the floor. So I would, on the Harden and beat actions, I would just switch it and expect that what's going to happen is Harden's going to try to make a post entry to Embiid as they should, because that's your best bet. Then as Harden is pulling the ball out to make the post entry, that's when you gear up and set up for your Embiid double. Then mm-hmm. you would double Embiid on the catch. But when they're actually running the action, as long as the ball is in James Harden's hands, you've got to stay in two-on-two coverage in the pick and roll or one-on-one coverage in his isolations. Because this series, Toronto will win if they if they play defense the way they're supposed to, but if they make James Harden make all of the decisions, if they make James Harden determine the outcome as a scorer, but if they let James Harden determine the outcome as a playmaker, they're going to get beat. And, and so I, I, Nick nurse has always favored overly aggressive defense. It's a strategy that I disagree with, but I think this is a specific thing where he might be like a little too rigid. Like uh, he likes to overhelp. He likes to double. He likes to make stars feel uncomfortable, but Doing this is getting too many easy shots for really good players on the backside. I would love to see James Harden take 12 step back threes in a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, nah, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, Poole or Maxi? Oh, that's a really good question. I think I'd go Maxi. Uh, there's a there's a an attachment to Jordan Poole's pull up jump shooting game. And don't get me wrong, he's great. But before the Harden trade, when Maxi was getting more on ball reps, he was actually shooting 40% on pull up threes. He, uh, I've always been a big believer in that size and athleticism mattering more in the playoffs. Like I think Jordan Poole, because he's a little bit slight is going to have some games in this playoff run where he shoots poorly. And suddenly his impact is, is significantly less. It's hard to say because roles play a role too. Like Steph Curry came off the bench to let Jordan Poole cook in game one, you know, like Tyrese Maxey's trying to play off of James Harden, which in this game worked because he was getting all these open looks, but I don't know. It's very close, but I think I take Maxey. What about you? I think I'm with you with Maxi. I think I'm with you with Maxi. Like, I think if you just watch them play basketball, you might think Jordan Poole is the better player. I, I think there's like a little more flash, like the, all the Euro steps and the deep threes. And I, I think he's more flashy. But if I'm trying to win an NBA championship, I think I'm going with Maxi's skill set. But it is really close. He's so fast. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. Like, Toronto's transition defense was bad. But it was, there were also these plays where, like, he'd get a re- like a long rebound and kind of catch it in stride and, like, take two dribbles and he's already at the rim dunking. And you're like, holy cow. Like, how, about, how, how about that big time Harden pass? The way he finished that one? Oh, I was, that's a tough finish. Like, that dude. is a, like, I thought the pass was great. The finish was probably better. Yeah, there's there's all these different kinds of athleticism, as we know, like vertical yeah. athleticism. And, and then there's foot speed, quickness type stuff. Like, he's got that, like, hamstring athleticism. Like, I can take really long steps and maintain my balance and still get lift. You know what I mean? And that, that I think is like, it, like that's actually that little thing that's been missing from Russell Westbrook in the last couple of years, which has caused him to decline as a finisher. But yeah, Tyrese Maxey, it's like, it's, he's covering so much ground with his steps that he's just, in, it's very, very difficult to stay in front of him. And he, he brings a very different 
uh, dynamic to the Embiid pick and roll. Because with the Harden pick and roll, he kind of methodically comes off and works his way into the lane and makes a decision. But like Maxi, he comes off that screen like a bullet and just tries to go to the rim. Yeah, that makes sense. It complements like a cerebral player like James Harden to have that like super quick guard next to him. That's why I kind of like Jaden Ivey next to a Cade Cunningham, even though I'm not even as high on Jaden Ivey as many are. But I just like that super dynamic, quick guard next to those like jumbo sized playmakers, you know? What do you think of Jaden Ivey's jump shot form? Man. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Eric Gordon. Like it looks hitchy and it looks kind of overly tucked, but at the same time, like there's a touch there. You know what I mean? There is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm just not as high on him as others. And I think that's because people were comparing him to John Moran and John Moran had these like, he he had like these special intangibles that you just don't see in college players when it comes to the IQ, the feel, the magnetism. And I think people were putting that on Jaden Ivey. And I think it was unfair to him in general. Yeah, I agree. The comparisons are always tough. And like, I don't even see him as the same archetype. Like John Morant is a pure point guard, John Morant with all that extra stuff you could talk about, you know? Yeah. And John Morant has like, like, dude, Minnesota has some of the best perimeter defense in the league. It's an underrated plot point of this series. They give up uh, per uh, when you account for pace. They give up fewer dribble drives than almost every team in the NBA. Wow. They uh, they have a lot of guys that slide their feet, move their feet. Everyone thinks of Minnesota as a weak defense. It's because they're weak on the back line with like Carl Towns. But like even that Minnesota defense had no chance of staying in front of John Morant on the perimeter. Like he is he, he is an all time great like dribble penetrator. I, actually, it kind of it reminds me a little bit that they're not the same player, but in dynamic, it reminds me of Dwayne Wade in 2006, where it's like Memphis is not the best team. I don't think the heat were the best team in 2006 in terms of overall talent, but in terms of one freak mismatch capability that could skew any series, a guy that beats everybody off the dribble goes flying into the lane and falls down half the time. That's a wrinkle. And John Morant shot 20 free throws yesterday. So like there's a chance that if he gets all the calls as he's going crazy into the lane that, you know, that could swing playoff series, man. Like I, I, there's, I just see just a little bit of that, like 2006 Wade potential with John Morant. Let's end with this. Let's end with something optimistic when it comes to Lakers. We're not going to talk about Frank Vogel. (laughs) We're going to talk about the future. They signed Mac McClung. And I thought it was so great because I felt like his season was super underappreciated and it's just great to see them kind of look into the future, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't dislike Mac McClung. I just, that means you do. I just, <laughs> I just, I, I, I he, he had a he, great he, season. He had a he great straight season. up killed it in the G league this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah, my, my thing with, with Mac McClung is he represents something that the Lakers don't necessarily need. Mm. And like, and, and so I just think if there's a spot for him in the league, it's not necessarily with the Lakers. If there's one small guard that I want the Lakers to target this season, it's Terry, this offseason, it's Terry Rozier. He is a straight um, hooper. He is a straight hooper. And like one of the things, a little, little uh, basketball dynamic that, that is weird is the, there's a, the Lakers don't run a ton of pick and roll, mm-hmm. even though they should, because they have Anthony Davis. But they don't run the pick and roll for two reasons. One, when LeBron runs it, they just switch it because LeBron and Anthony Davis are similar sizes. And so as a result, you just end up playing isolation basketball anyway. So they just kind of, they just don't do that as much. 
Then when anybody else ran it, whether it was Rondo or Schroeder or Westbrook or anybody else, there is no desire for the defense to account for pull-up jump shooting because those guys can't shoot. So they would always just sit in a drop coverage and the ball, the, the guy guarding the ball could go under the screen. Right. And so it was really easy for them to shut down those actions. Terry Rozier is one of the best pull-up jump shooters that we have in the league. Uh, I want to say out of that same list of 60 players, the one that I said, Anthony Edwards finished last, I believe Terry Rozier was 16th out of 60. So he's a top third pull-up jump shooter in the league and volume this season. And the speed will help. That's just the speed he brings will help that team. Fantastic athlete. And, yeah. and, he didn't. He has not defended well in Charlotte, but he did defend well in Boston. So I think a lot of that has to do with he Charlotte's did. just culture, their lack of defensive culture. Yeah. So I like I like the Charlotte deal. I'd target Rozier, Ubre, and Plumley is the three guys that I would target. You got a decent center that actually isn't in a in a casket yet. You've got uh, you've got a, a freak athlete wing in Terry in uh, Kelly Ubre. He struggled in Golden State because that's more of a read and react system where you needed more out of his basketball IQ. But in spot up roles, he actually does pretty well. That's why he's done okay in Charlotte this year. And then I love Terry Rozier as like the ideal backup ball handler for LeBron as a guy that forces teams to go over the top of the screen, which will open up AD's pick and pop game. It'll open up a bunch of things that he hasn't had access to over the course of the last couple of seasons. Palenka, you heard it. Sign those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. I see you hooked up with the volume. Tell us more about the podcast and where we could find it. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, I've been having the time of my life with the volume. It's been a, a really, really cool opportunity. I, the show, it's we're actually calling it Hoops Tonight now since we're covering the entire league. Uh, but oh, you'll find great. They haven't done a, the complete rebrand yet, so you'll find the podcast under Lakers Tonight. A lot of our stuff is on YouTube. So go to YouTube and search the volume. We do a full-length hour live show after every single night of playoff basketball. We'll be back again tonight. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter, at underscore Jason LT. And yeah, just come check out the show. Man, I definitely will. Everybody, make sure you go tune in. You're always welcome back on Combos Court. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jason, and talk soon. Anytime, man. I appreciate the invite. Anytime. Hey, Combo Nation, thank you for tuning into the show. Don't forget to punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Thanks to Jason for joining in. We appreciate you. Share this episode. Share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it in your basketball group chats. Let them know that you listen to Combo's Court. Appreciate you all. And be on the lookout for episode 359. Combo, out.